This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. This is one of a handful of Four Star Spurs' bonus episodes called Stateside Spurs Series, and I'm your host, Catherine. During this series, I'll chat with Spurs fans based in the United States about Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, so I certainly hope you join us for a little chat with Stateside Spurs fans. Now, before we start chatting Spurs, let's see who's joining me this week in the conversation. With me this episode is Rick from Chicago via London, and we'll get to know all about him this episode. So welcome, Rick, and thank you for joining. Hi, Catherine. It's uh, it's great to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for joining, and, and I'm really excited to hear all about your Spurs story. And so I'll, uh, I'll start with what is your connection with football? With football? Um... In general. Not in, general, specifically. In, in general, um, obviously coming from England, um, I used to play a lot. Um, the house that I grew up in from a very young child backed onto a park. So as you can imagine, every summer, you know, when school was out, I was in the park, um, you know, until until I got up in the morning and had breakfast and I was in the park. And then I would be there until it basically got dark and my parents called me in. And we were playing football probably most of the time, probably from the age of about five to 12. That's what I did, just playing football in the park with whoever turned up. So with that background of football, whether it was in school or in the summers with your with your friends or your mates, how then did you get involved with your Spurs fandom being from London? I, I don't know if you want to say where exactly you're from or, or the area, but were there people who were Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, Fulham supporters? Or tell me a little bit about the Spurs connection. Well, no, I, can, I can tell you exactly where I was from. Um, I, I, was, I was from a place called Wood Green, which is about, as the crow flies, about a mile and a half from the, the Tottenham Stadium. I could actually, as a kid, uh, I used to open the window at night and, uh, you know, when you go to bed early as a kid, I could actually hear games and I could hear the crowd from the stadium um, a mile and a half away. As for my fandom, my Spurs fandom, not a lot of people know this. Um, Well, I actually grew up in a house full of Arsenal fans. Uh, My sister was an Arsenal fan, my father was an Arsenal fan, and my mother just went along with the two of them. Um, the reason for it, um, we had a family friend that used to come over once a week and do babysitting and stuff like that. And she was a huge Arsenal fan. I mean, she would turn up at the house in Arsenal regalia, you know, scarves, <laughs> jackets, hat, everything. And I, and this was before I, you know, had chosen a team and mm-hmm. anything like that. And I just have vivid memories. Um, I actually liked the woman. I, I, I did like her, 
but I have vivid memories of hating the colours. Every time she walked in the house in bright red and red and white scarf and red and white jacket, and I just I always looked at it and said, God, that's hideous. You know, I must have been nine <laughs> years old. And she um, eventually started taking my sister to games, to Highbury, which was, if you know anything about the, the geography, it's about four miles away. So, yeah, she started taking my sister to games. And I have to say, um, I actually did go on a couple of occasions, again, before I picked a team or anything. And so, yeah, I, I've been, I actually went to Highbury before I went to White Hart Lane, which is horrible to say. And I think what, what cemented it for me was, this was about 1979, and Keith Berkinshaw, the Spurs manager at the time, um, decided to buy Aussie Ardiles and uh, Ricky Villa from the mm-hmm. Argentinian team that had just won the World Cup. Um, and I was all over that. That was like, oh, yeah, this is... Because, uh, you know, your average American or average sports fan can't understand the impact that had assigning those two players. Right. You know, it was, it, it was astonishing that... You know, a, a London team would buy world-class World Cup winners both at the same time. It was monumental. Um, and that, from that moment, I was sort of like, yeah, I kind of like Spurs. I kinda, and, it was, and, and it was doubly good because um, of the sibling rivalry with my sister to support the team that she hated. So that that that's it's all it's all, all coalesced into one, I and mean, it was like, yeah, that that, that works for me. So that, that's so, how that's how it all started. So not only was it that uh, you wanted to go against the grain in your family, yeah, it was also the pull from Birkinshaw, who you could probably see the the vision of what was happening at Tottenham. Oh yeah, it was it was. It, 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 you know, football at that time, you know, was uh, aggressive and very strong. You know, we had the Leeds team in the early 70s that was very renowned for being um, dirty, let's say. Um, so to, to suddenly, you know, for a team to buy two world-class, you know, football-playing pl- players was just against the grain of everything that was going on in British football at the time. Um, and you know, as it turned out, you know, we won, we won three trophies, what you know, you know, with with them. So yeah, it actually did work. So, um, so yeah, I was I was justified in my support at the time. <laughs> so would that be your favorite memory of winning those trophies, right when you were kind of entering in your fandom, or what is your fam- favorite memory from being a oh, supporter? Oh, favorite. Not memory? a game. Don't give me a game. Give me a memory. Give you a memory uh, that's not involved in the game. Yeah, I, th- I think the signing of um, uh, Ricky Villa and Ozzy Ardiles, ha- you know, has to be the one because it was like, it was, it was. I, I can't, I can't put it into words how mon- it'd be like, uh, you know, if Tom Brady in his prime suddenly, uh, you know, signed for Chicago Bears. It, it, that's kind of what it'd be like. Um, so yeah, I would say that that would be it. Going then to the question of your favorite game as a Spurs supporter, indulge me in in letting me know what that is. Well, I actually, I, I actually have to backtrack a little bit and, tell, okay. uh, and, and I actually told you a lie. 
when I said I went my first game my first game was a hybrid it wasn't actually my first game was at White Hart Lane my mo- my mother had um, a cousin and her husband lived in Sheffield um, and he came to visit um, or they both came to visit in I think it was 1976 I think it was we could probably look this up um, but he was a Sheffield United fan and they came to visit and Tottenham just happened to be playing Sheffield United at the time so I think the visit wasn't coincidental let's put it that way so he actually took me to that game um, I was seven years old um, and that was the first game I went to but I wasn't a fan you see what I mean I wasn't a fan until 79 so what I said before is the truth but my first actual game was in 70 I think it was 76 where we played Sheffield United at home and the only, I only remember two three things about about that that game was the monumental wait for the bus to get there you know when you're a seven-year-old and you have to wait 20 minutes for a bus it seems like you've been sitting there for four hours Mm -hmm. i also remember this is when stadiums were uh standing so i also remember um being a seven-year-old not being able to see a bloody thing (laughs) um because i was just you know adults were standing in front of me and somebody i don't know who it was it wasn't it wasn't my I call him my uncle. It wasn't my uncle, but I call him my uncle. It wasn't my uncle, but it was some guy who lifted me up and put me on his shoulders so I could actually sit. And we were at the, at the time, we were at the Paxton Road end in the corner. So we were, we were, as you look at it, you know, as you look at White Hart Lane, the old White Hart Lane at the TV, we were in the bottom left-hand corner. And I remember seeing a couple of goals. And I think we won the game 6-0, six, six I think it was. So... My first Spurs goal was for in 1976, where we played Sheffield United and it was 6-0, and I was seven years old. But my first official game wasn't until oh, many, many, many years later, actually. I didn't go to White Hart Lane until uh, the mid to late 80s. So about 10, about 10 years later was when I actually started going to White Hart Lane as a fan. So yeah, so what I said before was technically true, but technically not. <laughs> So you've been a fan for 35-ish years then? Yeah, since if you, if you want to say 1979, then yeah. Or uh, how, how more 40, yeah. yeah. So then now that you're in Chicago, you watch all the games on TV. Do you have a favorite in-person versus TV game? It's quite funny, but uh, I have uh, a memory of playing Manchester United at home. And Ryan Giggs was playing. And at the time, I was thought, oh, I could, I could be a player, you know, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was technically a good player and whatever. But I'd, I'd reached my twenties by this point, so it wasn't going to happen. But I always thought, you know, oh, I could be a player, I could mm-hmm. be a player. <laughs> and I just happened to be in like on on the eastern side of the stadium, but only a couple of rows back, so I was very close to the touchline. And I remember Ryan Giggs taking the ball from a sort of a left back position and flying down the ring right in front of me. And from that moment on, I thought to myself, I can never be a football player. Never. <laughs> because of the athleticism. I, I don't, it, it doesn't show on TV when you mm-hmm. watch a game. And, and, and it only really shows live when you're really close. 
how athletic these players are. And when he was running down the wing, he looked like a racehorse. Uh, I know Ryan Giggs is like an extraordinary example, but uh, that, that memory has always stuck with me. It's not a Spurs memory, but it's just the memory of watching Ryan Giggs mm-hmm. coming flying past me and, I think, and m- thinking to myself, wow, I, I, I can't believe how athletic these players actually are when you when you see them up close. It's, it, must be, it must be like watching Usain Bolt in person when you actually, you think, oh, he's, you know, when you watch him on TV, you think, oh, he's really fast. But imagine watching him in person uh, and watching him flying. It, it was like that. It was like you just can't fathom how athletic these people actually are. It was like the destroying of my dreams of ever becoming a footballer <laughs> right there, um, watching Ryan Giggs. So it, was, it wasn't a Spurs memory, but it was a very vivid, vivid Ryan Giggs memory. Um, I mean, if you, I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Ryan Giggs is, but he was a winger that played for Manchester United for um about 700 games so um he was a a phenomenal player so what about your uh favorite memory or game that you've watched on tv Uh, because that was in person yeah that was in person Uh, oh this is an easy one and um this is probably where um i think i mentioned you prior to this prior to this conversation that I, i would have a couple of cliched answers this is the cliche answer. Um, it's the 1991 semi-final against Arsenal. I was at home. I, knew, I wasn't watching the game in person. My whole family were downstairs in, in, in the house, at the, in the main living room, on the main TV, watching the game. There was no way on earth I was watching the game with them in person. I was upstairs in my bedroom with the spare, the one spare TV that we had. So I was watching the, 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 the semi-final against Arsenal. Um, people may or may not know, but Arsenal were almost in, uh, invincible that season. Now, I think they'd lost only one other game or something like that. They, they, won, they won the league, I think they did, because um, you know, we played them in the charity shield um, the following season. Um, so they must have won the league. Um, they were... You know, brilliant at that time, uh, that, that, that Arsenal team. So it was very unlikely that we'd win that game. And it was extremely unlikely that we'd win the game 3-1. We'd gone 1-0 up. And then Gaza took the penalty. And that's the thing, obviously, that everybody remembers. So when Gaza took the penalty and it went in, I came shooting out of my room, down the stairs, <laughs> down the corridor, into the living room, and just celebrated in front of the TV, in front of my whole family again. And then I ran away upstairs again. (laughs) So that's my favourite memory. Uh, So not even the whole game, just the Gaza goal. It it was like, if if you could describe Gaza in one one moment, that's Gaza's career in one moment. Doing something completely outrageous, unlikely, but with so much skill that, you know, he was beyond every other English player at that time. so yeah, that's my that's my favorite game memory. Well, and within a a house full of Arsenal fans, you kind of have to gloat I, a I little did. bit. I, Take I, that I did. chance. And I, and I did a lot because <laughs> <laughs> I did when when the game finished. I did the same thing. I ran downstairs, shouting Gaza. <laughs> I mean, I think I was promptly dismissed outside. <laughs> <laughs> that's not surprising. 
So you mentioned Gascoigne and Via and Ardilas, yes. and I want to kind of focus on players then. Are okay. they three of your favorite players, or do you have a favorite player maybe from each decade that you've been watching, or do you have one specific player that uh, out I of all one, time you I just I have, I have one player, um, and, and it's not a popular player, but I have one player that I've always admired, and... In one particular season, he was completely unplayable. Now, I don't have the statistics of what he did in that season. I'm pretty sure maybe he scored 12, 15 goals. He was a midfielder, so he didn't score that many goals. But in the 1987 season, if you look up the statistics of the 1987 season, that was a season where I think we got knocked out in the quarterfinals of the um, Carling Cup. We got, uh, We lost the... FA Cup final um, to Coventry, and we came second in the league. So it was the year we almost won everything. Um, it was also the year that Clive Allen scored 49 goals. But my favourite player in that, in that squad, now everybody thinks I'm going to say Glenn Hoddle. It wasn't Glenn Hoddle. It was Chris Waddle. Now, Chris Waddle was a player we bought uh, exactly like um, Paul Gascoigne. We bought him from Newcastle. He was a, a, a winger you could describe as playing in a lackadaisical kind of way. He always looked lazy. But he was ridiculously skillful. And when he decided to play really well, which wasn't very often, he was like Gazza. He was, uh, he was like Gazza before Gazza. He was like uh, Giggs before Giggs. You know, you could roll, roll him mm-hmm. all into one. I mean, that 1987 season, uh, um, you can probably find it on YouTube, some of the goals, you know, he scored goals from the halfway line, you know, that kind of thing. You know, he would hit long shots and they would go in. He would drop his shoulder and go around players and they would fall over. Uh, he was just completely unplayable. So, you know, he was, you know, he was a very good player. He's always been my favourite player because he, he just played the game like it was so easy. He didn't have to, he didn't have, you know, he he was the kind of player that would, you know, he'd have a smoke at half time. He'd have a beer. Uh, you know, he'd have five beers mm-hmm. after the game. He'd, he'd be falling out of a nightclub on Sunday night, and then you know, the next weekend he'd be scoring three goals. Right. It was that kind of person. You know, it's like old school. Like you said, old school footballer. He's unplayable on his day. He was, yeah, he just had that that audacity. Yeah, he was. He, he, he would drop a shoulder and leave players dead, and he wasn't particularly fast. But he was very, very... And he played for England, I think, 50 times or something like that, always on the wing. Um, yeah, my, my favourite all-time player. So, yeah, if you want to if you want to say player of the 80s, he would be my player of the 80s. Um, 90s, obviously, probably Gascoigne and Lineker and Klinsman. 2000s, I, I sort of switched my allegiance in... Because I was always... I, I always favoured midfield players, but in, in, in the sort of 2000s, I, I sort of switched my allegiance to... Strikers, so I love Berbatov. Um, and then in the 2000, 2010s, um, I was very, very excited when we signed Soldado. I, I thought it was I a, remember that. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a marquee signing. Um, he, you know, we got him on a very good reputation, and he, he came in and he was supposed to be really good, but he faltered at the beginning. And then he had the 
misfortune of the rise of Harry Kane. So he didn't do very well. And then obviously Harry Kane from then onwards. So, but Chris Waddle was always my favourite player and, always, and probably always will be. Well, thank you for going through that, uh, that description of your favourite players then. To kind of switch gears then to a different topic, I would say, uh, as we've gotten your background and, and your years of, of history of, of Spurs, I want to kind of understand a little bit of living in the U.S. as an Englishman. Has that affected your your fandom? And do you, because you have a little bit more of that outside perspective of being from England and London and a mile from the stadium, but then also you have to watch on TV every week. Tell me a little bit how, of how living in the U.S. has affected. Well, yeah. as you may or may not know, well, you're, um, um, in the beginning, because um, I, ca- I came to the States in 2001, where there was no live premiership football at all. The, the, you know, the easiest way you could get it is if you, if you happen to have Satanta, the, the Irish channel, or one of your very obscure <laughs> um, um, satellite channels, it might be number 725. Uh, Satanta played the odd game of uh, uh, Premiership. So there was no way of watching Spurs regularly at that time unless you um, did some shenanigans on, on with, a, with a laptop and, and, did, and found some streaming, you know, some streaming sites, um, which at that time there weren't that many, but um, you could find them. But when you're streaming from England, um, people, people in America may not realise that every game in in um, in England is not televised. So every Spurs game is not televised in England, even to this day. Um, it's it's the reason why they they spread the games over so many days because there is a governmental rule. I don't know whether you know this, but all the games historically used to be played at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, every game was played. All ten. Uh, games in the in the top division were played. When the satellite company came in, uh, Sky came in in '92, um, they enforced the rule that no live games could be shown on TV, satellite or otherwise, at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, because they didn't want television coverage to affect crowds going to the games. And that and that law is still in effect. So um, in England. No live games can be played at, at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon on, on television. So when you come to the States, the reason why I'm telling you this, when you come to the States, when you stream games live from England, if they're played at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, you can't get them because there's no live stream available. So that's why now games are played at 11.30 in the morning on Saturday in England, three o'clock and five o'clock, and you have Sunday games and a Monday game, that's all to avoid the three o'clock Saturday <laughs> afternoon thing, um, and that's why that's why they do it. Um, so at the time when I came to the states, there was no way of getting live games. You could you could get radio, you could get um, the BBC the BBC radio, you could get that over online. So I, I supported that way, and then Fox decided um, Fox Soccer decided that they were going to start. They they bought the rights to the games, and they had it for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it sort of gained momentum at that time. 
um, when, when Fox came in. And that was for a few years. And then NBC obviously got got the rights and decided that they were going to show every single game. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in the beginning, it was difficult, um, you know, in the early 2000s um, to not to support the team, but to, to actually be able to see the team. You may, well, you're probably not aware, but I'd actually I'd actually moved to um, California in 2005, and then I moved back to Chicago in 2008. So um, I, I I'd come back from you know living in California, having a great time. Um, I, I I'd actually linked up with LA Spurs at one point. I went to a few games with Los Angeles Spurs. So when I came back, I sort of had the the, the idea that. Um, I wonder if there's a, you know, a Chicago supporters club. So I looked online, found a very dodgy looking website that looked very out of date. Um, but it did say we watch games at the Globe, the Globe pub. So I thought, you know, I just come back. I think I just come back from California and I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to have to get, you know, some social aspect going in my life. You know, I was married at the time, but I needed, a, you know, an outer marriage outlet. Um, so I decided to go to the Globe Pub and I met the founding members of the Chicago Spurs. There were seven of, seven of them at the time and I was number eight. Um, so I joined the group, the, the group of guys who were watching Spurs games religiously at the Globe Pub with the Arsenal fans in the front of the bar, the Liverpool fans in the back of the bar and the seven or eight of us in the middle mm-hmm. with one TV with no sound because they couldn't put the sound on because it would conflict with the Arsenal fans in the front and the Liverpool fans in the back. Right. Um, so, yeah, there was, so there was eight of us watching games religiously. I used to, I used to go every, every game, um, and it got to a point where our group was getting bigger and bigger and bigger because um, I actually took over the website at the time, and I updated the website and made it look like we were active and, and you know, and, and tried to get new members. Uh, also, at that time, I created the um, Chicago Spurs um, Facebook group, which, as you now know, you're a member of it. We now have, uh, I think it's nearly 2,000 members. But at the time, you know, when I created it, it was me and three others that were <laughs> in that group. So, you know, we, we've gone from strength to strength. And, and, and then the real boost we had was when we moved from the globe to the Atlantic, um, because it gave us... Um, carte blanche, you know, control of the TVs and room for new members. So that that really um, that really helped our 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 support gain at that at that time. So um, so yeah, so 2008 is when it all started. You know, the Chicago Spurs and uh, the Facebook group, and then moving to and uh, moving to the Atlantic. I think in 2010 we moved to the Atlantic. So that's. That, that's kind of where my serious American obsession started. You know, before that, it was like, you know, it was, it, you know, I would keep up with games, but I wasn't going to watch games. I was I was happily married at the time, and it really kicked in. Um, and then I've been a very obsessive fan ever since, I think. <laughs> so can you tell me a cherished or a favorite memory of being one of the members of Chicago Spurs so yeah, um, a favourite memory. Um, it's a li- it's a little obscure, and it's nothing to do with um, football really. At the t- at the time in sort of the early two tens, Tottenham were very um, 
enthusiastic about their supporters groups. You know, they would they wanted us to take numbers and mm-hmm. take, take account. If you remember, we, we used to have a signing sheet. Uh, and Tottenham were very, you know, uh, enthusiastic about the groups doing um, charity work. And one of the and one of the things we started to do regularly was we used to um, take a group of Chicago Spurs fans down to the Chicago Animal Care and Control Center, where uh, it's the basically it's the local Chicago dog pound, where they have you know anything up to three or four hundred you know um, released or stray dogs in in the facility. And I remember the first time we did it, it was just such a pleasing thing to have 15 Chicago Spurs members go into that um, that unit. And because I'm I'm a big animal rights person, so it was just a pleasing thing to have um, you know a, a, a community, the Spurs community coming in and and, and basically walking. Um, I, I, uh, I have to explain the unit. Um, only functions by volunteers. That's the only reason uh, anything happens in that unit. But but but, but the government doesn't, but, but the state doesn't fund it very well. So if if the dogs are walked, they're walked by volunteers. So the dogs, some of the dogs don't get walked for months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could be in the cage for months without being walked. So it was just so pleasing to to hear at the end when we we were there about three hours, and it was really pleasing to be. Um, praised by the organizer that said uh, you know you came you know the 15 of you came in and you basically walked every dog in the facility for over half an hour you know we, we you know we, we took turns we swapped in and out and i think it was, it was about 70 80 dogs and we walked every single dog in the facility and it was just such a it was just such a lovely thing for us to do and i um i really hope we we get back to doing some charity work in the future. But, you know, we've done food drives and we've done food banks and things like that. But but having having 15, people, 15 members of Chicago Spurs go go, go um, uh, and do like some community work for, for, for something that, you know, is um, very dear to my heart. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was very, very lovely. It was, it was brilliant. That does sound rather brilliant, I would say, yeah. too. Yeah. And on the football side, do you have a favorite memory? It's a, it's a very it's a very recent one, and it's probably one that a lot of people have. <laughs> um, as, as, as your listeners may or may not know, um, I I was actually ill for a while. Uh, I mean, seriously ill for a while. Um, and it was a joy for me to actually go back to the bar after being away for about fifteen months. I I I didn't make it back to the bar due to my illness for about 15 months and it was around about the time where we were in the champions league and we were we were you know when we got to the final and obviously the semi-final against ajax lucas Moura scored the hat trick and we got into the final mm-hmm. i you know i'd gone from being a very very um loud um noisy annoying fan at the bar to being a very quiet um, studious fan because of my illness. I had a, a lot of things changed in my life. So when Mora scored the the final goal, uh, the whole bar erupted because obviously it was the last minute. We were gonna, you know, we were we were, you know we got through. We got to, through to the final. The whole bar erupted. Beers went up in the air. Glasses were smashed everywhere. And I was sat in my seat, quietly 
crying. Uh, I don't, I have no embarrassment about saying it. I was sitting there weeping because I never, because of how the game had went, you know, I had a lot of disappointment during the game and I never thought um, it would happen. So when it finally actually did happen, I couldn't celebrate. I, I literally just sat there and cried. Um, and I had tears coming down my face while the whole bar around me was being complete mayhem. Um, and I was just, I, it's like what you, you see, um, you see one of those videos, um, you know, in, in pop music or whatever, where the, where the main character is standing like in slow motion and everything is going past. Yeah. Him. That was, that was what it was like for me. I, I, you know, my, my time was standing still. But everybody else around me was going, you know, ten times faster, and that's what it was like. And it lasted about a minute, um, and I just sat there quietly weeping. And I think eventually someone just came over and just put their arm around me, and I just went, I just looked at them and went, I can't believe it. And um, we, I think we, we, we both picked up a drink and we, you know, we toasted the win and whatever. But it, it, it was just a monumental moment that I, uh, I, I won't ever forget. You know, um, it, it was as a. a Obviously, as the final turned out, it was actually a better moment than the final. Which is just, it, it's one of those things that just doesn't happen to Spurs. And it, I, I think that was what shocked me at the time, it was because it was just so un-Spurs-like. You know, to go that far down and then just not whimper and cry, to go that far down and then come back and then go through, it, and especially in the last minute, just unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm glad that you did speak about the Ajax moment because, and I have spoken with a few other uh, Spurs fans already who have mentioned the Ajax game, but the beauty of football and from watching Tottenham is not only what you're saying, that a lot of times Spurs don't get those chances, but also football brings out those emotions where some people do get loud and boisterous, other people might have a more inward focused uh, emotion and, and moment. And that's what makes the community of official supporters groups or even just the Tottenham community so special. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if I, if I was physically fit at the time, I would have been jumping up and down with the, with, with the guys with, you know, throwing beers in. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to do that at the time. So, um, I, I probably would have got very hurt if I got that. <laughs> well, I, I do remember I have a photo that I took on uh, New Year's Day of whatever year it was in 2015, 2014, maybe, when we, uh, when Tottenham played Chelsea and we, one five three, and mm. I have a photo of you standing on top of the bar with the Guinness in your ha- in your hand and yeah. cheersing the whole bar. Yeah. So that, I can that, imagine that if you had been better physically, that you probably would have had the same reaction. Almost certainly. <laughs> almost certainly. Um, yeah, I I I think I I was in self preservation mode at the time, so I thought, um, you know, just sitting there quietly and crying was about about the best reaction I could have had, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, well, and if, it was, if it was now, yeah, I'd be standing on the <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I, know, I, ha- I do have another question concerning fans and American fans. 
do you have a certain word or phrase that you could that you could characterize American Spurs fans as? If you don't, if you ask an English person in England what an American fan, Spurs fan is like, um, I think you would get a very different answer. Um, American fans are fans. They're just fans. Um, they are as passionate as any fan I've ever seen. And I've been to games. And I've had a season ticket at Tottenham, at White Hart Lane, for four seasons. You know, four straight seasons. And American fans, or the ones I associate with, 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 with Spurs, they are just as passionate as any fans I've ever seen. The American fans' dedication cannot be questioned. Their fandom cannot be questioned. And they have as much... Uh, anger and happiness and vitriol um, to, you know, the players, the management, the manager, as any fans I've ever, I've ever, ever come across. So how would I describe American fans? They're just fans. That's a great answer. Yeah. And uh, so I have one more question, though, and this goes back to the football. If you were the manager... Who would you choose as your favorite starting eleven from all of your time being a <laughs> oh <my> reporter? <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, the goalkeeper, it would have to be Ray Clements. Um, he was uh, the England goalkeeper at the time. He was. We bought him from Liverpool. He was a uh, Liverpool legend, legend goalkeeper. Just, just uh, you know, and he actually, um, it's sad. He actually died recently. Um, but he was just a moral professional, you know, He uh, and he became an ambassador at Spurs. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you ever went to like a corporate a corporate uh, game um, in, in corporate hospitality, hospitality at White Hart Lane, uh, up until very recently, you, you know, he, he was one of the guys that was a Greek Egyptian. Great goalkeeper. Um, Centre-backs. Um, I, think, I think we cannot ever discount uh, the magical Ledley King, uh, I, I, you know, I, I saw him play in person a couple of times. Uh, just a brilliant athlete um, with a bad knee. <laughs> um, just a great. Uh, he, he read the great. He read the game so well. It was, um, and he had phenomenal, phenomenal speed when he needed it. When he needed to, um, he couldn't do it all game. But you know, but the one or two times where he needed to make a, a you know a last ditch tackle, he would. Uh, alongside him. I would have to say Toby Alderweireld, again, a very good reader of the game, very good footballer. Um, you, you could you could probably stick in Yang Vertonghen as well. Uh, again, another good uh, another good good player. I mean, actually played today um, for Belgium. Would you believe? Um, um, which, which it's always fun to see uh, to see Yang Vertonghen playing, even though we released him a couple of years ago. Uh, left back, left back. He was terrible at left back, <laughs> absolutely awful. But you, but we bought him as a left back, and so I have to say Gareth Bale. He was awful as a left back, and it was only because of an injury to uh, our reserve left back at the time. But he was playing at left back, and then when I think it was a Suakotu, um, which came back from injury, and Harry Redknapp, who, as many people know. <laughs> I really hated as Spurs manager, wanted to play Gareth Bale, but couldn't play him at left back. So put him at left wing. And that's when obviously Gareth Bale turned mm-hmm. into Gareth Bale. So left back was would be Gareth Bale. Right back 
we've had some terrible right backs. But I have to say Justin Edinburgh. Again, another player that died not too long ago. Um, uh, he was, he played he played in the cup final um, in '91. A very very studious player. He wasn't the greatest player in the world, um, but he was. You know, you tell him to do a job, or you would mark a player, and that's what he would do. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he was very reliable in midfield. Obviously, I have to have my my favourite player on the left wing in in Chris Waddle. Paul Gascoigne has to be in midfield, obviously. Right wing, right wing. Oh, obviously. Um, we had a French player called called David Ginola. It's it's funny, but if all if if all the um, female American Spurs supporters now could see David Ginola when he played for us, they'd all be in love with him. He was gorgeous. I ha- I'm saying even that seeing him today, he's gorgeous. Yeah, even today he's gorgeous. Um, I'm, I'm saying that as a red-blooded male. Um, he was gorgeous, but he was gorgeous on the field as well. Mm-hmm. He was a really good player. So I'd have him on the right wing. Up front, here we go. Oh, my God. Can I pick three? <laughs> well, yeah, because you have a four-three-three going on, right? Do I? Yeah, uh, I think oh, so. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't <laughs> think yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll pick three. Four-three-two-one. Four, two, no, I'll pick four-three-three. Information. Because then I can pick my three favorite strikers, obviously. Klinsman. Yeah, um, um, we bought Klinsman in I think '94. He stayed with us for one season, um, and then he left, and then he came back. Um, again, for for about half a season, I think it was, when we were in relegation trouble. And both times, he he scored a mountain mountain of goals. It was it, it was having you know it was one of those oh my god we're signing a World Cup winner kind of moment you know. So for us to sign Jurgen Klinsmann was unreal, especially when the team at the time was awful, and we were in money troubles as well. So to have the beacon of light that was Jurgen Klinsmann in the team was brilliant. Like um, the aforementioned Via and Ardiles. Yes. Um, so Klinsmann, uh, Berbatov. If any, if anyone hasn't seen Berbatov play, if you imagine uh, a conductor of an orchestra, that's what he was like. He, you know, he didn't need to run fast. He didn't need to tackle. He didn't. didn't need, he would just stroke the ball. Give me the ball. I'll go. I'll, I'll I'll go over here and I'll shoot the ball in the goal, and you won't even know what happened. Kind of thing. He was uh, poetry in motion. I, I would say he had he had no speed, no athletic ability, nothing, but he could make other players look ridiculously stupid. And then obviously the third one, I can't not pick Harry Kane, obviously, um, purely because he again he's not the most athletic of players. But he's, he's one of those players that's always in the right place at the right time. Um, and he can make space for himself as well. And then he's, you know, he's slightly adapted his game in recent times to dropping into midfield and being a being an assister as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just a phenomenal player. He's just, um, from, you know, from someone that came up through our youth team to stay with the team. Is very rare, you know. That that doesn't happen often, where you get a, you know, a brilliant youth team player that comes into your team and stays there. But he became world class almost immediately. It was like, you know, he came into the team. He was loaned out a few times. I mean, 
as the aforementioned Soldado realised, he's never going to get in the team again because of Harry Kane, and, and he didn't, and we ended up having to sell him. Um, so, yeah, Harry Kane would be alongside Klingsman and Berbatov. So I know that that was technically my last question, but mm-hmm. my last, actual last question <laughs> would be, who would manage that team? I would have to say Martin Yol. Now, the reason I say Martin Yol is he took a crap team. I mean, crap. Um, I mean, the early 2000s team was awful. And he took that team from basically lower mid-table and he bought and sold players and organised the squad and, you know, and, and bought Berbatov and, and everything else. And he got that team where we were actually from basically not in contention for anything to being in, in contention for Europe and almost the Champions League. The Tottenham team of the last 10, 15 years where everybody's like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're regularly in Europe and where, you know, we can get in the Champions League a few times and we're getting some cup finals. Um, that all started with Martin Joel. Everybody thinks it started with Redknapp, but it didn't. It started with Martin Joel. Um, what Redknapp did was um, bring the morale back that had been lost when Martin Joel had left and then we got Santini for like a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, all Redknapp did was bring the morale back. He didn't bring the team back, he brought the morale back. But Martin Joel started it all, so I would, I would have to say Martin Joel. With a um, side note to David Pleat, because David Pleat in the, in the 80s and the 90s, whenever we were without a manager, um, David Pleat would come in and be caretaker for a while. He may come in for six months or come in for a year. And we all play, always played well under David Pleat. So... Martin Joel with an assistant of David Plink. (laughs) Well, that works for me. (laughs) Well, like I said, that was my actual last question. So I so appreciate you for coming on and chatting with me and having this great conversation. So much appreciated and thank you very much for joining, Rick. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, like I said, thank you, Rick, for joining me this episode. And for you listeners out there, make sure you follow and subscribe to Four Star Spurs wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like the pod and you fancy doing us a favor, write us a review. Also, thank you to Charlie for the music, Kevin for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and Four Star Spurs for the use of the brand. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Four Star Spurs. That's all for now. Come on, you Spurs.